0: I don't
1: get podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the I Don't Get It podcast. Naz is out this week. Um, and, th- and Lauren and I thought it would be a great opportunity to do another podcast with our dad. I was on a mom walk. I was on a, a, a mom date with a new friend and we were exchanging birth stories. I was you know, telling her how I, I had the worst pregnancy ever, but I had a great delivery. And she told me, That she didn't have an epidural and her labor was excruciating. And I wondered why. I said, why didn't you get one? And she said that she didn't want labor to be prolonged. And I was like, that is such a wives tale when it comes to epidurals. So I thought that I would go on Instagram, ask y'all for your questions about epidurals. And then I would have a sit down with my dad and get some answers for you all. I was very fascinated by the whole thing leading up to my pregnancy, and I felt like I was pretty well, well-versed in it. Now, I just want to say before we get into the interview, getting an epidural or going the non-medicated route for childbirth are both totally respectable ways of doing so. They're both, in my opinion, and I think um, in most people's opinion, a natural labor. And I don't want this to like sway anyone or make it Like it's epidural propaganda just because I'm the daughter of an anesthesiologist. I just want to be informative. Um, I think there's a lot of um, questions out there that women don't have answers to when they're going into the labor and delivery room. So let's get this started. Welcome my father, Dr. Jay Akinetti, on the podcast.
2: Hello, everyone.
1: Hello. All right. So, Dad, I have a list of the most common questions that I got on Instagram, and I'm just going to let you roll. We do want to say before my dad starts speaking that you know he has been an anesthesiologist for what he have been working in the practice for over th- like thirty, over, over thirty-five, 30 years. Thir- over thirty years. Right. Okay. Um, but he did not specialize in OB. He has not done OB for about a decade.
2: they're, they're about
1: about a decade, but he certainly. Did it for well about about twenty years. I work in
2: one of the top ten most uh, the top ten most volumous, v- voluminous voluminists uh, ob- voluminous OB practices in the country. I mean, we do somewhere between ten and eleven thousand deliveries a year.
1: Yeah, and it's one of the top one of the top OB um, OBGYN hospitals.
2: One of the top GYN hospitals. U.S. News report last year, anyway. Yes, exactly. But and that's it's GYN, where, not over yeah, here. that's that's GYN.
1: Okay. Well, that is also the hospital in which I delivered and had a great delivery experience after an awful pregnancy. Okay. So, Dad, I'm just going to hand the mic over to you, basically, because I know these questions might be a little long-winded. Um, all right. So, number one, ask most asked question. What are the risks to having an epidural during labor and delivery? And what are the downsides that can
2: occur? Anytime you stick a needle in anything in anyone's body, there's always a risk of infection or bleeding. Those are are extremely, extremely rare complications of having an epidural placed. Uh, the, The most common complication is probably what we call a wet tap where the needle uh, extends beyond the epidural space and actually nicks the lining around the spinal fluid and allows the spinal fluid to escape, and it can create some pretty significant headaches for a rather long period of time. It's not you know, a terrible complication in the sense that it puts your life at risk, but it can be a miserable thing to have to live with. And there are various ways of being able to treat that. Should that should that happen, in a practice like ours where we do as many epidurals as we do, uh, the incidence of a wet tap is about one percent. So one in a hundred patients will have that. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have the complication of the severe headache. But um, the younger you are, and the larger the needle that you put in, the higher the chances of having. Uh, a wet tap headache or what we call a postural puncture headache. And like I said, it's somewhere around, it's less than 1% in the hands of somebody who does a lot of epidurals.
1: How long does the headache last?
2: It can last, it can actually last weeks. Um, and they're pretty severe. They're what we call postural headaches. If you lie down, the headache goes away. If you stand up, the headache gets, uh, gets worse. Uh, and the treatment for it is something called an epidural blood patch that that's the most aggressive treatment for it is an epidural blood patch where you actually take blood from the patient you redo the epidural and you push put the blood about 20 cc's of blood into that needle to patch the hole up that it created in in the dura and the the, the headaches caused because the c- cerebral spinal fluid leaks out through the hole that you made and creates a low pressure state inside somebody's head and brain. And that puts tension on blood vessels then and the um, surrounding the brain and causes pain. So if you lie down, that pressure equalizes, the headache gets better. If you stand up, you can imagine that the, the fluid pressure, you know, gets lower and it creates tension on those nerves and the headache gets worse.
1: Lots of people are asking about the chin. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but like, I was surprised to see how many people were nervous about long-term nerve damage, back pain, and even paralysis
2: because of an epidural. Anytime somebody has an epidural and has some kind of problem, most of the time people, you know, think that it's related to the epidural Uh, There are so many things that go on in pregnancy related to the pelvic region, uh, the muscles, the pushing that goes on, uh, the change in the way your body is, that people can develop muscular problems in their back during pregnancy. And then you, you have the pregnancy and you go through the period of delivering the baby and pushing, and that puts even more strain on the muscles of the back. So inevitably when uh, moms complain of back pain after uh, they deliver they automatically think that's related to the epidural it's generally not it's generally related to the changes that occur inside the pelvis and the musculature due to the delivery
0: is there a possibility of um paralysis
2: the, the First of all, epidurals are placed at the, uh, generally placed at a level below where the spinal cord ends. The spinal cord doesn't go all the way down your back. It actually ends at the lumbar one and two region. Below that, there's something called a cauda quina, and there's a lot of cerebral spinal fluid. But there are no n- real nerves that come out um, where you can do a, a nerve injury if it's placed at the proper level
0: okay so for for us that don't know the lum the spine yeah. is it close to your butt crack or where would that lie?
2: It would lie above the butt crack Just the, butt above cra- the butt crack no it's oh. it's you know i I'd have to guess it might be four to six inches above where your butt crack is, but that can
0: okay. that can that vary, vary depending
2: upon you know people's habitus okay so the needle placement itself, if placed in the proper proper place, and there are landmarks to, 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 for people to know where to place it properly, is unlikely to do any nerve damage if you're in the midline. Okay, now if you're off for one reason or another, there's the possibility of getting some nerve root damage. Happens very very rarely, um, and when people have stories about spinals and epidurals, and people having Uh, paralysis afterwards, those things are generally related to the fact that something improper was injected, not if if it was local anesthetic, if there was some kind of swap in medication uh, and you injected something there that shouldn't have been injected.
1: As that would be a huge mistake on the behalf of the anesthesiologist? That
2: would be an enormous mistake and, you know, yeah, it's an enormous mistake.
1: This whole podcast is basically making decisions that are right for you and your body. And well, I have another suggestion. It's our partner care of a love care of been a huge fan and partner of pair of care of's for quite some time now. Um, if you don't know, care of has this awesome quiz. It's like they're basically a vitamin and supplement company, but they help you figure out what you need to take because the vitamin and supplement industry can be super overwhelming and you don't need everything that you see at the vitamin store. But Care Of's quiz is awesome because it's going to help you. with just a few simple and actually kind of fun questions. Figure out what is going to be right for you and your lifestyle and your health goals. So for example, I get this one supplement from them. It's called Rhodiola, and it's because they know that I'm like a rundown mom. This is supposed to Rhodiola. Rhodiola um, has a tendency, it helps some people with increased energy, stamina, strength, and mental capacity. All the things that I really crave in my life. I love the way it makes me feel. It really does make me feel a lot more rejuvenated throughout the day. Um, the other thing that I really like about care of is that their individual packets are so easy to take on the go because I literally don't go two weeks without travel. So in order for me to not take bottles in every suitcase that I pack, um, I have just a couple little packs, throw them in for the amount of days that I'm going to be away and I am good to get, and I am good to go. So we have a special offer for you guys for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter the promo code, which is IDGI50. Again, that is 50% off your first care of order. When you go to takecareof.com and enter the promo code IDGI50. Okay. Well, that rolls over into a couple questions, but I'll go with this one. A lot of people saying that they have scoliosis and worried that that will either prevent them from getting epidural, prevent them from it being placed properly, or have had a delivery and had scoliosis and it didn't go as um, well as they'd hoped.
2: We successfully place epidurals in people who have scoliosis all the time. Some people obviously have more of a scoliosis than others, and it can make the placement of an epidural challenging. Uh, People who have known scoliosis or have had back surgery for scoliosis are generally referred to us uh, before they deliver so that we can review their x-rays to really get an idea of what the degree of scoliosis is and where the hardware is that may have been put in their back to correct it. Uh, Most of the time, it doesn't preclude having uh, an epidural. There are times where the extent of the surgery such or the scoliosis is so bad that it makes it very difficult to place an epidural.
1: So we talked about the risk of having an epidural. The number one you say is having a wet tap. Are there any other risks that you can think of that are common enough to mention? And let's talk about risks to the baby because that seems to be the reason that most
2: women choose not to have one. Again, the most common things are infle- infection, bleeding, wet tap. Um, I mean, again, there are other there are other things like nerve root damage that can occur, but it's so extremely rare um, that uh, it's 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 really not worth concerning yourself about uh, because it's like one in hundreds, if not millions, that something like that would occur.
0: Um, when you talk about the needle, anytime you inject a needle, you're risking infection. Mm -hmm. Is it true that like, this may be totally off topic, but I saw something on TikTok and it was like this guy couldn't find a vein and then reinserted the same needle like again. And apparently every time you take a needle out and then reinsert it, it causes infection.
2: No, uh, not if you properly prep the area, which we do, we use betadine solution or chloroprep solution and, and, uh, sterilize the area there it's not uncommon for you to have to make more than one attempt on an epidural and uh, obviously you don't change the needle every time that you do it okay. so um, just because if, if it's properly prepped that's really not an issue
1: and you said there's not many times where you have multiple attempts to place it correctly is is it's totally okay if, if normal if like it, they, it takes a time or two and Absolutely. and that's not going to necessarily result in a wet tap right no
2: no it 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 probably makes it more likely that you're gonna have a wet tap because the more you have to do it the more it indicates that there's some difficulty in the placement of it for one reason or another way whether it's the way the patient is positioned or the patient's body habitus and so forth but um no
1: very popular question. And the one that inspired this podcast episode, does it prolong labor and does it therefore increase your chances of needing a C-section?
2: That's been a perennial question and controversial issue in OB anesthesia and OBGYN. There've been all sorts of studies on it. And if you look at all the studies, uh, there's no definitive uh, evidence that it delays the delivery. Maybe, maybe by 30 minutes or so. But you know, my my answer to that is okay. So it delays your labor by th- your delivery by 30 minutes, but at least you're pain free during that 30 minute period yeah. of time.
0: Also, doesn't it make you relax more? I mean, this may be an OB question, but. I feel like since you're not like all tight, you may just be more relaxed and then things may fall.
2: Yeah, yes. but the, the the issue there is you don't want somebody, there, there's this balance that you have to play with in terms of the amount of analgesia, which means pain relief, and the amount of numbness that you have. Because if you get somebody, if you get a parturient too numb, they're not able to effectively push. And for that reason, that may delay the delivery. So you have to kind of play. I, I I, kind of hesitate to use the term to play, but you play around with the concentration of the local anesthetic and the amount that you give so that you get enough pain relief. But at the same time, the the patient feels the need to push. If you get them too numb because you're using too high a concentration of local anesthetic, That prevents them to be able to push effectively
1: weird topic to speak about with my father (laughs) but um yes for me i got the epidural it was within 20 minutes they said you'd be relieved and i was within 20 minutes it was amazing and then a couple hours later i was starting to feel this crazy like constipation feeling and then it lasted for like, I want to say like 45 minutes of just like, it was pretty much like every minute, like a constant constipation. And I think I may have asked my midwife to come and check me. They don't want to check you a zillion times, check your cervix because that can lead to infection. Um, but like she, she came, she checked me once and then she was like, you still have a little bit. And I was like, well, and I think I'm going to need the epidural more because like, it's, I'm like feeling it. And they say, you know, is it pain or is it pressure? And I was like, there's it's it's some it's probably close to pain at this point. And then he came in, you know, your buddy, and he he jacked it up a bit, and then I was good to go. And then I will say that maybe towards the beginning of me having to push I had to kind of look at the screen because the screen shows when you're actually contracting. But then once I pushed a time or two based on the screen, I started to get the urge and I knew when it was time to push and when it wasn't, but it still wasn't painful. It still was like a, like a, a train coming of pressure,
0: a train of of Um, pressure. That's why mirrors are good, right? i'm not asking dad i can't can't comment
2: i can't comment on that usually when the mirrors come in it's only because they want the mom to be able to see the delivery
1: which i didn't want to see you know i just didn't need to i don't think i I think i would have freaked myself out i think i was gonna freak myself out We don't need panic attacks no exactly i was not feeling any pain so why freak myself out um laughing gas. Some people try to go for the in-between, which is laughing gas. I wouldn't call, I call it an in-between um, because it's not going to take your pain away so much as it will just relax you, right?
2: So this is something that I've had no personal experience with. I can just give you my impressions based on what I know and what the people who in my practice do, do this stuff in your practice. Um, that's called inhalational analgesia um and it's controversial uh, especially for people who are extremely conser- or or conservative about the way that they treat their their pregnant patients because by definition women have uh or what we call full stomachs okay no matter when you eat uh because of the hormonal changes and because of the changes in your you know body habitus and so forth your stomach doesn't empty the way in a normal individuals.
1: Pregnant women? Or are you saying like women in general? Pregnant women. Okay. Pregnant
2: women. Um, one of the biggest complications that occurs in any kind of anesthetic, particularly general anesthesia, is called uh, aspiration. And aspiration is when the contents from your stomach come up, and because you're not able to protect your airway because you're anesthetized, that stuff goes in your lung and create a very, very nasty uh, pneumonia. And actually, back in the 40s, there was a doctor, an OBGYN doctor by the name of Mendelssohn, who described this aspiration pneumonia or aspiration as a significant risk for women who are pregnant undergoing general anesthesia. Well, when you give somebody nitrous oxide, you're anesthetizing them enough. And this is, just my, this is my impression. Um, you're anesthetizing them enough that they may lose their ability to cough and and protect their airway. I mean, if, 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 if something comes up, if you, if you have heartburn and you reflux, you know, it doesn't go into your lungs because you cough when it happens. But if you're anesthetized to some degree, um, those reflexes go away and can go into your lungs. So make the combination between somebody who has a full stomach, who has, you know, potentially has a a full stomach, two, has nitrous oxide, and although it's not technically a general anesthetic, it's a significant anesthetic. It puts them at risk for aspirating, and that's a significant complication. I mean, people can die from aspiration. Um, So if you're a very conservative anesthesiologist or conservative group, they generally look, look, do not look favorably upon giving nitrous oxide and doing inhalational analgesia. Yet there are other hospitals that provide it, and they do it. So, it's, again, it's very controversial. I don't know that there's any right or wrong, but I bet you, I would bet that there have been lawsuits, malpractice lawsuits based on things that might have occurred during that kind of anesthetic.
1: Would that be... The anesthesiologist job to deliver that you know what I mean like or or could like a, a nurse or another an OB like give it to them saying like if I'm just thinking like in not so much of a hospital setting yeah
2: I, I don't know the answer to that because we don't do it my impression is that it's simply available in the labor room for the women to use and they're taught how to use it but there's no anesthesiologist or nurse anesthetist there to monitor the patient during the during that.
1: So it sounds like that option, which a lot of people would probably think is the, in between an epidural and going natural, is actually probably
0: way more risky.
2: In my, in my view, it is. You know, there's other people who would disagree with me, I guarantee you that.
0: I'm going to Nantucket uh, this week. And if you guys have been listening for a while, you know that this trip stresses me out. And I don't only need Next Evo. Um, to get me through sleeping in a new bed and being away from home for a week, but also um, something to chill me out, something that will make me really relax. Because, as you all know, I'm an introvert, so having to be an extrovert for a full week makes me very, 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 very anxious. And Next Evo is there to support me all the way through. It's um, a C- Next Evo is a CBD um, brand, and it is amazing because. It is fast acting and absorbed better into your bloodstream, and super. It happens super super fast. So if you're feeling anxious and you take one of these CBD gummies, I love the gummies, um, but also comes in like other um, forms. This CBD will help calm you down very very quickly, more quickly than any other CBD out there. Um, A recent lab study showed that most of the CBD brands contains as little as 60% of what their labels claim. So you're not getting what you paid for. But NextEvo tests their products multiple times to ensure that you get 100% of what's on the label. NextEvo has stress CBD complex gummies, and they're clinically proven to reduce stress up to 70% with no prescription needed. And they also have the triple action CBD sleep. And it calms your mind with fast absorbing CBD and this CBD helps you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. So leave summer stress behind and upgrade your CBD. Go to nextevo.com slash get it to get 25% off and a free bottle of premium pure CBD, a $50 value, limited one per person. That's nextevo.com. That's N-E-X-T-E-V-O.com slash get it.
1: Dad, very popular question. Why didn't my epidural work? Or why did my epidural only work on one side of my body? What are the most common reasons that epidurals fail?
2: Well, um, one obviously is improper placement of it. There, there are different techniques for placing an epidural. Um, sometimes you can get fooled into thinking that you're in the right spot when you're not. And um, you, you, do everything the, do you do everything the right way. You place the uh the needle, you place the catheter in, you dose the medication, thinking that it's in the right spot, and it doesn't work because it's not in the right spot it's 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 an art okay it's not a science placing an epidural um there's going to be a failure rate um, just because it's actually a blind technique. It's not like you're using an ultrasound or an x-ray to put a needle in a space. There, what you're doing is you're advancing a needle and you're putting pressure on the, a syringe with the idea that anytime the needle is in muscle, skin, or tendon, the tip of it is plugged, right? You can't push air in it. But once you enter the epidural space, it's, simply, it's exactly that. It's a space. So when you get into the space, that resistance that you felt on the syringe suddenly goes, It goes away. And that's the indication that you're in the space that you need to be. And that's when you, you know, thread the catheter and give the medication. Everybody's anatomy is different. They're, you know, you get in there and you get into a space and you get that loss of resistance and you think you're in the right spot and you're not. Um, and uh, so that, that's probably the most common, common reason. Um, the, the answer to your other question is why do you get it on one side or the other? There have been uh, you know, studies on cadavers that they look inside people's epidural spaces, and it's not just this continuous empty space. There are these little fibrous septa in, in it that divide the epidural space from one side to the other. So if you get into the epidural space and you give you the medication and you thread your, the catheter and you give the, the local anesthetic... It'll bathe the nerves on one side of the epidural space, but it doesn't get it onto the other side. And um, that's just an anatomical fluke that some people have, and they get one-sided epidurals. Now, that's an anatomical reason for it. There's another reason why people get um, one-sided epidurals, and that's if you thread the catheter up too far in the epidural space rather than the catheter getting placed in the midline, and the local anesthetic spreading all around, you thread it up so far that it kind of tends to go off to one side or the other or maybe goes out into a nerve root. And then the local anesthetics you're giving through it only stays on one side. It doesn't, it doesn't go to the other.
0: Uh-huh. Okay, well, that my my question was, what could you mistake it for? And you already answered it, the fibroid, whatever.
2: Well, the f- fibrous tissue fibrous or septae okay. or you know, it's described as a lot of, a lot of Ash- membrane, lots of different things. And
0: my next question, I think you talked about it last time you were on here talking about anesthesia, but that redheads are more susceptible. You can't talk about this. I can
2: talk about. But it. is it's, it
0: also it's, with it's epidurals? Proven, it's
2: proven to be false.
0: It's proven to be false. Yes
2: okay it it was it was thought is true but there have been studies to show that there's no difference
0: okay so wait have you noticed that as epidurals or anything no
2: not really okay
1: that they were supposed to be prone to not like not taking it 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 was supposed to
2: no they were supposed to be resistant Resistant. to it they take prone to not taking it it, 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 in other words (laughs) it, it would take more medication than usual, than you would expect for redheads. And then that was probably thought to be due to the fact that there was something about them metabolically that they didn't, uh, or they, they more rapidly metabolize medications than, uh, than people who don't have red hair. But my understanding is that their studies have de- debunk that.
1: Let's say you got your epidural and an hour later, you're still not feeling it kick in or you are only feeling at one side of your body. Is there anything you can have the anesthesiologist do at that point, being that you are still not ready to push and you're like, say, five centimeters dilated?
2: There's really two approaches to it. You can go back and re the epidural with more potent local anesthetic then you're getting through the infusion. Uh, and then after that, it's just replace it.
1: So you can replace it. It's not a done deal. Like You can say, hey, it's not working, and then they can try it from scratch. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think more people don't? Okay. So I'm hearing from so many women out there that say, like, my epidural didn't work. Do you think that it's common that doctors, whether it's the OB, the anesthesiologist, the nurses or whatever – Tell them, don't worry about it. Like tell them, no, you're just going to have to keep going right now and and suffer through this.
2: No, I I mean, that might, that might happen a little bit, but, um, you don't know what the circumstances were when these people under which these people got their, their epidural. Um, they may say that it didn't work and somebody tried three times, or they may say that it didn't work because they only tried it once. How would you say women should— And, and everybody's, everybody's idea of what's worked and what isn't working is different, too. I mean, quite frankly, there are some women who think that they sh- they're going to be pain-free. It's not a realistic expectation. There's going to be some discomfort, some pressure, something you know, like that. And depending upon you know, people's personalities, some misinterpret that as it not working. And that, and that's not. I'm not saying that these people are crazy. I'm just saying everybody's interpretation of what they're feeling is is a little bit different.
1: How would you say women should advocate for themselves when it comes to getting anesthesia when in labor?
2: Obviously, I think they should have a say in what they're in, in the way that they're being cared for, um, and they can voice their opinion as to when they would or would not like their epidurals. But I, I have to say that. Uh, they need to trust their, their obstetricians and their anesthesiologists to decide when the most appropriate time is for them to have it. Nobody wants nobody wants anybody to be in pain. Everybody wants everybody to be comfortable. Uh, but we want people to be safe and we want the delivery to, to go well. And there are certain circumstances that you know the obstetrician or the anesthesiologist may think that that's not the best time to, to place it. No, again nobody not, nobody wants somebody to be in pain everybody wants a, wants to make sure that their patients are comfortable and that we 're taking good care of them.
1: We have to take a quick break for a story it 's very brief it 's the fact that Gerald and I both had we were both paying for subscriptions for peacock. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, we had two Peacock subscriptions we didn't even realize, but Rocket Money found this out for us because Rocket Money is one of our favorite apps. And it was like, hey, guys, uh, do you realize that there's, there's multiple charges for this, different credit cards? I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, so they saved us $6 a month. That's how much Peacock is a month. And we are just, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a nice dinner at the end of the year. If you guys didn't know, here's an interesting stat for you. 80% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. Or, I mean, maybe in our case, there's maybe multiples floating around in your family. (laughs) And um, it's just one of the reasons that we're a huge fan of Rocket Money. If you don't know, it's a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, like I just mentioned. But it also monitors your spending and helps lower your bills all in one place. Yes, they can actually negotiate your bills. Just for example, if there's like two cable companies in your area, um, it can basically say like, oh, hey, um, this this company is this much and this one's the other much. Basically, if there's two cable companies in your area and one is you don't know is actually cheaper than the other one, they can negotiate your bill with your cable company. It's just insane um, the amount of things that Rocket Money is helpful with. We just met with our financial advisors, and holy moly did all the information that Rocket Money gives us help that situation like they're able to see what we spend on what and help with budgeting long term it's amazing there's only there's over three million users and counting rocket money customers have saved an average of 720 dollars a year multiple people in my family including jared and i that includes us we are part of those three million users so stop wasting your money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash get it. That is rocketmoney.com slash get it. Rocketmoney.com G-E-T-I-T. Get it. I was in triage when they check you for the first time to see how far along you are, to see if you're ready to be admitted to your delivery room. And I was at five centimeters, which is probably a great time to get an epidural. And they asked me, well, in triage, do you want the anesthesiologist to come up to your room right away? In which case I said, of course. Now, I don't know how likely that is that it happens at all hospitals. Um, people want to know when is the normal window to get an epidural. And then I'm sure I'll have follow-up questions.
2: Um, in my experience, there's no... There's no magic number. There might be some people who wait till somebody's two centimeters before they consider doing, doing it. Um, it's a very difficult question to answer. Uh, we're, consult- we're, we're consultants. Okay. Anesthesiologists are consultants. So uh, we are there to help the obstetricians deliver the baby. Uh, we're not gonna fight with them to say, Hey, you know what, you should give this patient their epidural now at two centimeters versus at five centimeters. That's up to the up to the obstetrician. So I can't say that there's any time that's better than another, other than the fact that being an anesthesiologist one of our goals is to try to make sure that people are pain, you know, pain free or as pain-free as possible. We don't want them to suffer. And in my mind, if there's no indication or no evidence to suggest that the epidural does anything bad for the patient, like prolonging their their, uh, their labor and their delivery, um, I'd have them done sooner, You know, sooner than later.
0: I don't think you ever mentioned if it was harmful for the baby.
2: Okay, well, that's a good question. The epidural itself, is not harmful to the baby the the unique thing about uh ob or pregnancy is that you have two patients you don't just have one you have the mother and you have the baby and in general if you do the right thing for the mother you're going to do the right thing for the baby um the things that with the, the epidural itself and the local anesthetic that you put into uh, an epidural doesn't get out into the bloodstream in a significant enough amount that it's going to have any impact on the baby by crossing the placenta. The thing that epidurals can do that can affect the baby is lowering the mother's blood pressure because if you lower the mother's blood pressure too much, the perfusion, the blood perfusion to the placenta goes down and therefore the baby doesn't get as much oxygen as it should. So yes, a natural um, physiological response to having an epidural is low blood pressure. And the reason for that is the nerves that come out from your spine have multiple functions. They have motor functions, meaning that they allow you to move. They have sensory functions, allow you to feel. But they also, in certain areas, have what's called sympathetic function, and sympathetics are the fight and flight stuff. You know, epinephrine, norepinephrine, everything it makes your heart race, it makes your blood pressure go up. The local anesthetic blocks those nerves, and therefore your blood pressure, your 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 heart rate goes goes down, and your blood pressure, your blood vessels dilate, and then your blood pressure goes down. So we expect that people's blood pressure are going to go down, but you don't want to go down so much that it's going to affect the perfusion to the baby. So as long as you're judicious in the way that you dose your epidural, that you don't give it to the medication too fast and drop the blood pressure too quickly, and that you make sure that you monitor the mother especially closely for a time period after the epidural's placement placed, if the blood pressure starts to go down to an area where you think it's going to cause problems with the baby, you give medications like phenylephrine and ephedrine that raise the mother's blood pressure and it corrects the problem.
1: Okay. Going back to our previous question, there's such a wives' tale out there that once you get to a certain point, it's too late to get an epidural. But I know from you that you've placed epidurals at women, in women who are 10 centimeters dilated. So what is that all about? Why is there a certain time that, that a lot of OBGYNs are like, no, you don't get it anymore?
2: Well, I don't know if that's the case. Is that that what you're hearing? Is that they'll say that? I feel like that's in the movies, a lot of movies.
1: No, people say that all the time. Um, People tell me all the time. They're like, oh, my my doctor said I was too far along.
2: Yeah, but I I think – let me explain it. First of all, you use the term 10 centimeters. Well, 10 centimeters doesn't necessarily mean it's too late because people can sit at 10 centimeters for hours. I mean 10 centimeters is fully dilated, but that doesn't mean that the delivery of the baby is imminent, Right. So 10 centimeters doesn't mean anything. You can be, you know, 10 centimeters and, you know, there's something called station and so forth. effaced. Uh, and how effaced your, your um, cervix is and so forth that are more of an indication of how close you are to delivering than just the fact that it's 10 centimeters. Um, I, I'm telling you, I've put epidurals in women and they deliver, you know, five or 10 minutes later. Uh, didn't feel it. Well, that obviously didn't get much. To, sometimes, I mean, you can get you can get pretty quick relief from an epidural. It takes the edge off and allows a deli- an imminent delivery like that to happen. If an obstetrician were to object to that or say, "Oh, you're already too far along," it's probably more related to the fact that they don't want the patient sitting up on the side uh-huh. of the bed having the epidural placed, they rather have the patient in a position where they're going to be able to deliver the, pa- the, the baby safely in a short period of time. Not that they don't want the patient to have pain relief, even if it's for five minutes.
1: So a lot of people asking, how does the doctor put the epidural in if you're contracting so frequently and they can't sit still?
2: My experience is that when women are in that much pain, they want the epidural and they'll sit still for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there are some are a little squirrely, perhaps, but uh, you'd be surprised how cooperative they are, despite the fact that they're having as much discomfort as they as they are.
1: Oh, I was very cooperative. <laughs> Could you speak about? It wearing off, and if you can increase it, because lots of women said that it started to wear off by the time that um, pushing
2: began. What they're saying is, is that, um, yeah, it, it, it's wearing off and it isn't wearing off. The, when you initiate an epidural, you are giving a more potent local anesthetic through the, the catheter, the epidural catheter, when you initiate it than is actually being infused during your labor. When the epidural is put in, we use there are very various kinds of local anesthetics and different concentrations that different people use, but they're very very potent. Two percent lidocaine, for instance. I'll just use that as an example. Although most of the time we use quarter percent bupivacaine. Those are just different kinds of local anesthetics. But relative to the The pump that they hook up to it and the medication that's in that, that medication that we initiated with is much stronger, much more potent. So when the epidural is initially placed, people get tremendous relief from it. But over time, that medication that you initially put in wears off and all you're really riding on is the lower concentration medication that's being infused through the epidural. So... It's worn off in the sense that they're not as comfortable as they were before. They aren't as numb because initially they probably get pretty numb. You're moving from what would generally be termed anesthesia after the the epidural is placed to analgesia, which just means pain relief. Anesthesia is no pain. Analgesia is some pain, but okay. Okay.
1: So that's obviously the point that I got to after it was in probably for about two or three hours. So was it okay that
2: I asked for more? Absolutely.
0: And did they put it through the catheter? Yes. Add more to the catheter. They
2: just put it through the catheter. You can you can inject local anesthetic through that catheter. Okay.
0: And it's not like a button they press just to get more. It's not like morphine well, button. Well,
2: oh. yes. The, that's called patient-controlled mm-hmm. analgesia, where women are capable. They, they're given a button. It's hooked up to the pump that has the local anesthetic in it that it gets infused through the epidural. And they're able to push that button. And every 20 minutes, they they get a dose of medication. If they push it more often... They're not going to get it, okay. but once every twenty minutes, if they push the button, they can get a bolus of that more dilute local anesthetic.
1: I didn't have the button.
2: I don't think I, I don't think at my our hospital that they give patient controlled analgesia. There are other places that do. There are actually other places that do walking epidurals. Okay, so. There are some places that they use the local anesthetic that is so dilute or just put narcotic in, in the in the epidural space. Will there allow the to women to, to walk the halls um, during labor?
0: I mean, I guess that's nice maybe for anxiety it would help just to get up and move i don't know it's
2: a in in my view again not having done it before not being in a place that does it it has the potential to be a logistical nightmare because you'll have all these women walking all <laughs> over the labor floor you know and it's like you know where are they what you know how are they feeling I, I can't speak to that because i've never done it perhaps you can find somebody you know in a place that does it and they can tell you what it's like
0: is that
1: something that women can talk to their OB about to see if the practice at the hospital that they'll be delivering at is willing to do? Yes. Because I, I saw some women were interested in walking and they didn't get the epidural because they felt too bound to the bed. This show
0: is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the most convenient way to receive therapy. It's all online. It's You can do chatting, you can do video, you can do phone call. And what I love most about BetterHelp is that it's so flexible with your schedule because I know sometimes you feel like doing therapy, sometimes you don't feel like doing therapy, sometimes you have a lot to talk about. So maybe you want to do multiple sessions in a week or maybe you just want to do one every other week. And the therapists are so flexible with your time and you can schedule them all online. Like you can just see when your therapist is available on their little calendar and you can easily switch times. They're so kind and I know that it's like really hard to find a therapist that you click with. So BetterHelp is really good at making sure that you have someone that you vibe with. You can like basically date your therapist if you're not like feeling the one that's originally assigned to you. Um, You also can be uh, matched with a therapist in under 24 hours. I also know that like a lot of our listeners are like the 20 to 40 year olds, 20 to 40 year olds, like generally. And... That's kind of like lots of transitions happening in your life. And if you need someone to like talk about these really like life changing transitions, BetterHelp is a great place to start to have unbiased conversations with. So um, I just feel like it's so nice to have like a rough week and just know you have someone to turn to who's very unbiased. I know that I started BetterHelp about two years ago, and I know that it was very helpful when I was transitioning um, kind of from like feeling like a young 20 year old to feeling like oh wow I'm a full blown adult now and that tr- transitions very hard and it's still very hard to like kind of figure out where you belong in like society as like you age that's something I deal with every single day but it's really nice to have a therapist there to you know Bounce these ideas off of. So, if you guys want to try BetterHelp, go to BetterHelp dot com slash get it today for ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P dot com slash get it. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp.
1: Um, I want to go back to the centimeters question just because it is such a popular one. You know how early, how late. Y- you obviously just said that you can get it quite late, despite the fact that many will say that they were denied it at that point. Lots of people are also denied early, Um, and we want to start talking about induction now because a lot of my friends now, with us being the 35 plus club, uh, it's becoming the norm for women to be induced at 39 weeks and not going that extra week once you get into the high risk pregnancy zone. And um, with inductions, obviously, it can be a lot slower and it can be actually more painful. Why don't you explain why inductions are often more painful than just letting it go naturally?
2: This is more speculation on my part than known science. But induction is actually an infusion of Pitocin, which is uh, you know, a hormone that causes the contraction of the uterus okay? and induces labor. There's probably more, too much more to it than that. There's a, there's other medications that they probably can use intracervically and, and so forth. But that's out of my purview. Um, but because you're infusing a hormone that causes uterine contraction, that can make the uterus, the contraction of the uterus more intense, and therefore can be more um, uncomfortable.
1: Okay, so. In those situations in which you are induced, it's obviously, as you said, can be more uncomfortable. And, um, you know, you're basically starting at zero because some of these women will be going to the hospital to be induced when they're not even dilated. Um, so there's going to be a longer journey ahead of them. But I still have heard plenty of examples of women who are not given an epidural until they're at let's just say three to five centimeters and they're sitting there contracting at you know one centimeter for hours and hours and in total pain so what's your take on that
2: i don't have enough experience to really answer the question
0: I my theory over here is that maybe since they have such a long journey they don't want to be tied to the bed for maybe 48 72 hours or something so until they're in like a point where they're dilated they don't want to be tied
2: to the bed yeah. the time you know like i said it's been a long time since uh, i've been up on the labor floor and they've always had done inductions in the past in the past but uh, to your point it seems to be a much more common thing that that's done nowadays and being that i haven't been up there since they've been accelerating it i really can't answer the question
1: all righty then uh, but just a few more questions left. Um, what's the difference between a spinal block and an epidural? I know that with a spinal block, they do that with C-sections. Typically, and epidural is obviously with more of a vaginal delivery. What's the difference?
2: It's an anatomical difference, and it's a difference in the the uh, concentration and the amount of local anesthetic that you use. As An epidural obviously gets placed into the epidural space. It's a potential space in your body where the nerve roots from the spinal cord move through. Um, And when you put local anesthetic in there, it bathes those nerve roots. And some of the local anesthetic also actually diffuses through into the spinal fluid. Um, It's a much... um, Uh, for lack of a better word, more gentle anesthetic in that it comes on rather slowly because it's not directly hitting the spinal cord or the spinal nerves or the spinal fluid. It's just bathing the nerves that come out from it. A spinal, on the other hand, is where you go a little bit further through the epidural space and you enter the dural sac, which is a sac of fluid that surrounds the spinal cord, or the spinal nerves, and you put, because you're right there, or the spinal cord, the amount of local anesthetic that you use is much, much smaller. If And actually, this gets back to complications. If I were to dose an epidu- uh, a, a, what I thought was an epidural, but it was actually in the dural space, like a spinal, the patient would get a total spinal. There'd be so much local anesthetic, that the local anesthetic would drift up to their brain, and yeah, I mean it's a very it happens from time to time, uh, and it's something that can be handled, but um the your patient just gets paralyzed because so that local yeah you got to intubate you have to intubate them sedate them until the local anesthetic wears off and you're okay.
0: What did I marry? So your brain is like. Literally thinking, being like, no, I can't you're breathe out. Right now? I
2: mean, you, I'm sure there, there's variations on the theme. Uh, it could be high enough where you're awake, but you can't move and uh, you can't breathe. Um, or there's the point where there's so much local anesthetic that goes up to your brain and it anesthetizes your brain. Okay. I um,
0: This is probably a very dumb question, but how long do you wait with the patient to see if any of those complications
2: happen? Well, that's a good point. Okay. But before I get remind me of that, okay. because I have to get back to the difference between spinal and epidural. My point in giving that terrible scenario is, is that if you do a spinal You put the needle in, it goes into the epidural space, and then goes a little bit beyond into where the the dural sac is and the the spinal fluid. It's in for like an hour. And you're only putting in... Thanks,
0: Dad. Bye. Let's go on the couch.
2: One and a half to two cc's of the local anesthetic. When you initiate an epidural, you can put 10 or 12 cc's in. So because of the proximity of where the local anesthetic is being placed relative to the spinal cord, and the spinal fluid determines how much medication that you, you give. So,
1: yes, Dad. Simplify that. Why why the spinal for C sections and okay. why an epidural for vaginal?
2: Okay, a spinal is a very very dense block. I mean, with the epidural you could move your legs, right? A little, a little. It was a little weak, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you could move uh-huh. your legs. You put a spinal in. You're not moving anything. You don't feel anything. It's a dense, dense block.
0: And you're supposed to feel from and, wear down with that.
2: Well, it depends upon how much local anesthetic you get. But for C-section, we like to get it up to the nipple level.
0: Okay.
2: Um, so p- that's why women who have C-sections on their spinal will sometimes feel like they're having difficulty breathing because they can't feel their chest. They can't feel their chest move. Um, they're fine. They're moving. They're breathing. It just... They don't give you any Xanax for that. No, no. God. No. Um, It's a very dense block. The epidural is a much, you know, lighter block than the spinal is. The reason that we do spinals is because you go into the operating room, you sit on the operating room bed, you put the spinal in, boom. You're anesthetized, you lie down, they prep and drape you, and you you have your C-section. With an epidural... When you dose it, it can take 15, 20 minutes for it to really kick in. Now, that's not to say that you can't do an uh, an epidural for a spinal. We do it all, I mean, for a C-section. We do it all the time. For people who have scheduled C-sections, they know they're coming in. They're not going to go into labor. They're just going to come into the operating room and have a C-section. We do spinals on because it's just faster and easier. If you're on a labor floor and you fail to progress or you have D cells or something like that and they need to do a C-section, you just dose the epidural with more potent local anesthetic and you get numb and you can have your C-section. But it takes longer for it to happen and it's not quite as dense a block as the spinal is. Mm. Very interesting. But I have to get but, back to, but back to Lauren's question. How long yes. do you wait to see if there's negative effects? Oh, okay. Um you, you always have a labor nurse with you. We'll go in there. we'll put our epidural in we'll we'll do our charting they'll to check the blood pressure a couple of times we're We're such a busy O b practice that there's always somebody on the floor, so if something happens, we're there in thirty seconds a minute. Um, but the nurses have a protocol that once the epidural is initiated, they have to take blood pressures every so often uh in order to monitor it because. It's not infrequent that you have to give a medication to support the blood pressure afterwards. Does that answer your question?
0: Yes. I'm just, you know, obviously spiraling, thinking about... I wanted to address the spiral
1: because I knew it was happening right over here to my (laughs) left. And I know it's probably happening to some of our listeners. So if you do have some sort of mistake happen where you go paralyzed for yeah, a, yeah. a bit you, they're like you said they're going to it, they're gonna they're gonna get, they're gonna they're get exactly gonna, you guys you're gonna go to sleep right away I mean, i'm sure the odds of this happening are so so low
2: right it's very infrequent very very but infrequent it's always in our mind as a possibility i mean it's like we think about it all the time um it's a very very low frequency but it does happen from time to time
1: and, and you're going to fall asleep, and then you're probably going to be delivered via C-section at that point, right? Oh, they're going to do a
2: C-section immediately if that happens.
0: Okay. Yeah. okay. Um. Yeah. So, my spiral was. Um. How long would it take to have, to realize that was happening, if the anesthesia went all the way up to your head?
2: Like I said, it's on the forefront of anytime we do an epidural or we do a spinal, we are so cognizant of the fact that that is a possibility that we're on it pretty quick but like
0: it, it could take effect like a minute two minutes three minutes
2: well with a spine if it if well if it happened with an epidural
0: an epidural that's what i'm asking
2: so in it, if you inadvertently do it in an epidural yeah. it's going to happen fast because you gave a lot of medication in a very small in okay. a very small okay. space
0: all right that's all you're going to know yeah. my anxiety spiral today
2: <laughs> now with a spinal when you do it a, and it happens with a spinal which is unusual because you, you know you know that you're giving a small dose There's lots of reasons why the spread of local anesthetic can go pretty high in pregnant patients. Um, But you're always aware of it because you're talking to the patient through all this. And when they start saying, well, and this is something that happens too. My fingers and my arms are starting to get numb. You're starting to say to yourself, I know that this is, now this is a high block. And then if if people start saying, I'm having difficulty breathing, like, you're there. You know that, that, that that's a problem and you're going to take care of it. It's not unusual for women who have C-sections and who have spinal anesthesia to feel like their arms are weak and their hands are tingling, that the spinal gets that high. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they have a total spinal.
1: Okay. Some people are asking about, this is weird to bring up with your dad, Um, (laughs) increased tearing down there with um, epidurals, which in which case my opinion would be you're not feeling the tear happen. And I mean, yeah, the recovery won't, you know, an ouchier recovery with the the bigger the tear. But dad, um, is there any scientific proof to the fact that if, you're not feeling it down there that you are more likely to tear?
2: OB? It's possible. But I mean, you have, you know, I I don't know what the literature is on it. It's possible. I can understand the rationale behind it. But you you have an obstetrician there who's supposed to be doing an episiotomy. You know, that's part of it too. It it also depends upon how large the presenting part is. And when I say presenting part, the presenting part is the head most Mm -hmm. of the time. If you have a breech, it's a butt. But, um, those play into it also, but I can understand that if you're not feeling what's going on down there and you're you're effectively pushing that you could push too hard and you could, you could tear, but I don't know whether or not the literature bears that out.
1: My final question until I want you to like, kind of have your, your wrapping up statement. (laughs) This is the most simple question there is. Does the epidural hurt? And I'll take this first since I experienced it. To me, it didn't hurt, like, at all. Like, I'm not sure whether or not I just am pretty good with needle pain. You know, I do get my lips injected without any um, numbing. I can handle needles pretty well. It's weird because I can, like, some pain doesn't do it for me, and then some pain, like, cripples me. The epidural felt like, to be honest, like, barely anything in my memory, okay? Um I know that you're going to say that they numb the area first. And then I I think I was helped by the fact that it's on your back. You're not watching the needle go in. You don't even see the length of the needle. So because it's not visual, it really is relieving to me. And then Jared, who is not a big fan of needles and stuff, he saw the epidural needle and he goes, that's what people talk about because so many people seem that they don't want to get an epidural because the needle is so long and that freaks them out more than, you know, the other types of pain. And he didn't even seem phased by the needle. So anyway, dad, um, do you often hear women be like me where it's not really phasing or do a, a lot of people, um, become, you know, agitated by it.
2: Generally, um, the women are thrilled to see us and uh, want the epidurals. Want the epidural sooner than later, and in their mind, whatever discomfort they go through in order to get it is well worth it. Again, depending upon somebody's size, whether they have scoliosis, whether they're being cooperative, will determine, you know, how easy or you know difficult it is to place the epidural. Obviously, the more difficult to place the, it is to place the epidural, the more opportunity there is for pain. You do use local anesthetic, the numb skin up, just like a dentist does, you know, before he, like he does his work on you. That's usually the worst part of it is the injection of the local. After that, you don't feel much but pressure.
0: Like different pains... Like, period cramps versus needle pains are such different feelings of pain. Thank you for getting that. That's what I
1: kind of was referring to because needle pain, I can handle. To alleviate a
0: period pain, I would definitely take a needle pain. Yeah, exactly. And, like, almost vice versa. Like, they're just not in the same wheelhouse.
1: The needle pain is just fleeting, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. So, All right. right. Well, Dad, um, any final thoughts for the women out there who are – on the fence about getting an epidural, um, anything like that?
2: Obviously it's a personal choice. Um, the, the fact of the matter is there is really no need to have to go through the pain of, uh, of delivering a child because of our ability to do things like epidurals. Um, and relative to, the safety of it in a way the risks and the benefits i think the benefits way outweigh the risks uh of having them placed.
0: but we still want you guys to make your own decisions this isn't a propaganda exactly. episode no, absolutely <laughs> yeah. absolutely
1: all right well guys if you didn't get epidurals before this episode i think you get them now so thanks to dada for dada. joining us for the hour it's yeah. been very informative
0: yeah and that- they didn't feel like an hour yeah. All right. Great, great Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Bye. Dad. Let's go to the couch. Yay. Woo!
2: I don't get a podcast.